It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. I received an email from a podcast listener. Okay. Actually, I take that back. It w- I don't know if it was a podcast listener. I think it may have been somebody who had signed up for one of our free resources on, on Wellevator. Well-E- I was just about to say. <laughs> on Wellevator.com. Yes. Okay. Exactly. For for anyone who has not visited our website yet, we have a lot of free resources, ebooks, and video trainings and I know I'm missing something else. What do we have besides Also e-books? really incredible blog posts. I mean, just we've got dozens and dozens of really deep, um, resourceful blog posts as well. I would consider that free content. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, well, there's a lot of uh, value add on the website. Anyway, so she had heard us in a summit that we had been part of, the Happiness Summit. Oh, yeah. Make and, happiness your bottom line. Correct. Mm-hmm. And then she downloaded our ebook, You Are Enough, okay. which is one of my personal favorites. So again, if, if you're listening to this thinking, ooh, that sounds good. <laughs> That's on our website. Especially if in your mind's eye, you went, ooh, ooh. (laughs) I know in my mind, I I say ooh a lot. Ooh. No, you don't. (laughs) I usually say it out loud. Ooh. No, you you Mm. never say that. Ooh, baby. That's not what you say. Anyways, she was writing us because she loved an ebook that I forgot we had. Because it was like a bonus. So We've written it's two like e-books? a hidden resource that we don't. Well, we do actually have two ebooks. We have You Are Enough and we also have Take Charge. Those are our right, two ebooks of course. on the front end. But on the back end, you also offered a little bonus freebie, which is Blissful, Balanced, and Badass. Oh, and I had right. completely forgotten about it. So she emailed us and said, I really loved this ebook. I felt like you were talking directly to me. Wow. And I'd really, really like <laughs> That's no, that's great feedback. I love how you, you leaned in, Jason, like No, that's wonderful you feedback. You were really surprised that I said that. Continue. I'm just I'm well, very the ebook subtitle is Seven Steps to Strip Away the BS, Elevate Your State of Being, and Light Up Your Life with Love. And it was funny because not only did I forget that this ebook existed. Which, if you're listening and, and this sounds really good to you, you can get it if you sign up. You have to sign up for the You Are Enough ebook first, and then we'll send you an, an email. I think on like the second time we email you will be this bonus. It's a bonus so, of a bonus. Yeah, it is. So we were trying to load it up. And um, I was curious, Jason, when did you write this ebook? It remind me of the process because I completely forgot about it. It's not a Wellevator ebook. It's a it's a special Jason Robel ebook. It is, yeah. So in 2017, I was doing a rebrand of my website, a complete redesign, actually, rebrand of my website, and I was in the launch mode for your personal website, my personal website, JasonRobel.com, W-R-O-B-E-L.com, and as I was concurrently redesigning my website and launching my online course, My Healthy Hustle, I wanted to offer 
a brand new opt-in gift on my website to get new email subscribers, give people also a flavor for where my brand was heading, which was not just being a chef, but also to incorporate mental wellness, exercise, productivity, resourcefulness, planning, you know, just really the seven pillars of wellness as I see them. So I actually forgot. You, you had eight pillars in here. Or wait, six, seven, I mean. What's the seven steps? Food, fitness, relationships, mindfulness, productivity, organization. What's the seventh? Then? Oh, for are you looking at My Healthy Hustle right now? No, I'm looking at the, the ebook. Oh, what's the seventh? <laughs> oh, goodness. That'd be funny if you only offered six steps. No, there's a seventh, and I can, I'd have to look seventh? at the ebook right now. Well, I'm looking minute. right now, and so now I'm, I'm discovering along. But as you're reading it, the whole point was I, I wanted to give people a flavor of you know my research and my focus, which was moving and expanding beyond just food into other avenues of wellness and becoming more of a lifestyle focus rather than a food focus. And I think most people still, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, I think about the identity episode, we can link to that in the show notes at wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com about when you put a title on yourself like chef or coach or wellness expert or whatever, People have a really deep association, especially if you've reinforced that over years and years and years of producing content. So this was my attempt around late 2017, 2018 to start to rebrand myself as a overall lifestyle and wellness expert or or coach or or person that can support others rather than he's just the chef. We've talked about that before. So mm-hmm. this was this ebook was the first foray into I suppose, rebranding, reconditioning people to say, oh, he has resources on exercise and productivity and mindfulness and mental health. And yes, he's still going to give us recipes, but it's not just going to be about that. So that was the whole purpose and intent in writing this book. And, and honestly, it's still I still use it as a opt-in gift. It's still something that, that's going well, on. Clearly, because people are getting it when they sign but up for I, I genuinely, Wellivator. But I genuinely forgot that we had offered it as, mm-hmm. a, as a bonus of a bonus from our resources on Wellevator, because yeah. I had only been exclusively using it on my website to get opt-ins, grow my list, and give people, again, a flavor of my new brand and the new direction of, of my teaching. So I think that's great. First of all, I love that our people are downloading it. Second of all, I want to touch on a point that I think is really meaningful to me as a writer and a communicator, which is whenever I do my writing, I am always trying to make it feel conversational, that as if it feels like that person is in the room with me and we're having a conversation like you and I, Whitney, are having right now. So to get that kind of feedback on a piece of writing that I've done is really meaningful to me mm-hmm. because rather than being written at or spoken at, to have it be conversational and flowing and feel like I'm in the room with her, that means the world to mm-hmm. me as a writer. Yeah. And that's what I try to aim to do as a writer. Yep. So well, thank you for sharing that. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, of course. And I, her her request was actually that you did an audiobook version of it. She was saying that <laughs> Wow. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. And I thought that was really good feedback as well. And then I told her, Well, why don't we talk about it on the podcast? Because it might take some time if you decide to turn it into an audiobook. We Not could at least touch time. upon yeah. some of the points in today's episode to give people a little taste of what they'll receive in the book. I think that's fantastic. And and also, these pillars are relevant, I think, too, to what we like to talk about, obviously, with our Wellevator teachings, that it's not one particular dimension of wellness or lifestyle transformation, but it's a multidimensional, multifaceted approach, mm-hmm. which is certainly our collective approach to want to help people change their own lives here yep. with our brand. 
Also, I'm curious who made this ebook because it's really visually pleasing. Oh, uh, our mutual friend Nathaniel. That's what I thought. Yeah, uh, Nathaniel did a very nice, nice job with and this. I want to get. I want to give on that tip just a super quick shout out to Nathaniel. He's a really wonderful player in the transformational world, and he also is a wonderful designer and also is a great creator and producer of online courses. Mm-hmm. So if anyone would want to get in touch with him for you know helping to launch and produce an online course, look in the show notes for this episode at wellevator.com. We'll link to Nathaniel's website. He has online courses, he does retreats, and he also supports other creators, coaches, and transformational leaders in optimizing their message. So he not only designed this ebook with me, he also designed the myhealthyhustle.com mm-hmm. website. Which he did a really great job Yeah, with. I love that. To this day, I love that website. And I actually want to relaunch that this year. I was thinking, it's been two years since I launched that course. I want to relaunch it this year. Mm-hmm. I want to refresh it, relaunch. Well. So people can check that out at myhealthyhustle.com. Well, or in the show notes here. In the show notes. Maybe we can, we can do a, a special promotion of it for Wellevator. For our listener, maybe maybe a special discount code uh, for podcast listeners. That could be a good idea, actually. Mm-hmm. How about this? How about we do this in real time? I'm just making this up as we go, as we do, Whitney. What about if people use uh, the code Wellevator? Well, if you tell them that now, it's before it's set up, they might go and actually try to do it right now. You're going to have to make sure that's all set up. I, I know. Give them I, know a code. I know. That's why I'm being bold right now. Oh, okay. I'm being bold. You're going to go I, do that when you get th- home. This is, this is me <laughs> lighting the fire under my own ass, actually. Okay. Great. So if people want to use the code Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R, you'll get 20% off, 20% off your enrollment. It's a six-week online course, My Healthy Hustle. Uh, which I created. It's video driven. You have homework, you have prompts, you have PDFs every week uh, and you have email access to me. So yeah, if people want to jump in at My Healthy Hustle, we'll put that in the show notes and you can use the code Wellevator, get 20% off. And Bamson. this episode will, will be a bit of a, a taste of, of My Healthy Hustle because we're going to talk about this ebook, which you can all go download for free. So I'm going to read the very first page of the ebook. Oh, I love this because I don't even remember what's in there. I'm excited. Because I wrote it two years ago. Yeah, I don't so. think I ever, I've ever read it myself. You've probably been sold the idea that personal transformation is tough, that it's a long, hard, arduous, painful road with lots of bumps, bruises, and bottomless pits along the way. And yes, life will test you. Of that, there is no doubt. It'll test you to see how much you want to grow to evolve and to claim the mantle of the life you were meant to live. It'll test you to see how many French fries you can eat in one night. (laughs) Basically, my beautiful friend, you're going to get your ass kicked a few dozen times until you figure out that it doesn't have to be so damn hard all the time. Personal trend. And, And it's interesting, too, because, you know, getting uncomfortable, the theme of of this podcast is very much about personal transformation. And I think it can go either way where, where some people are afraid of how hard it's going to be. Yep. They're like, oh, I don't want to get uncomfortable. This is going to get really uncomfortable. But things get uncomfortable whether you want them to or not. This is true. Right? So, yeah, this is just coming up for me as I'm reflecting over this and, and just seeing like... It'll test you to see how much you want to grow. And part of growth happens when you get outside your comfort zone. Absolutely. That's one of the basic tenets of why we chose to do this podcast and what we encourage people to do, which is go into the dark cave where the thing that you fear lives, because you'll find out that 
Maybe when you get inside the cave and you actually face it, it's not as scary as you thought it was. Where the idea of something being so scary and confronting, when you actually get into the reality of facing that thing, the fear dissipates because you chose to face it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's go into the first section, which is about food. Starts off by saying food. It's such a ferociously passionate topic for people. We have so many associations with our food choices. Food provides us with not only physical nourishment, but also emotional comfort, a sense of connection with people, and a feeling of community, and unfortunately, often a substitute for real human connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we touched upon this, I think, a little bit in when we talked about the uh, addictions in that episode. That for me, the five addictions, the five addictions. Yeah, we can link to that in the show notes as well. The previous episode. And for me, I think that food, it represents so many layers in people's psyche because there's the actual pleasure, the chemical release of having the substances and the compounds in the food have a reaction in your body, right? And affect your neurotransmitters, affect your blood sugar, affect your hormones, affect your physical being. And I think, though, on a cultural and spiritual and emotional level, food has so many other meanings for people as well. And I think one of the biggest things that I've noticed in in my sugar addiction, um, which I've touched upon, was that when I started to feel lonely, disconnected, longing for someone, feeling like I wasn't being filled up with love in my life, I was using sugary foods and heavy foods as a substitute for the connection that I wanted to be literally filled up by something. When what I was actually wanting to be filled up with was love and connection and feeling vulnerable with another human being. So to me, food is, I'm fascinated by food and food will always be something I certainly will teach on and coach people with. And I know that you're obviously also super passionate about food, Whitney. That's one of the first things that united us as friends and colleagues, because I think it is so multi-layered and multifaceted in what it represents for human beings where, you know, I'm not. I don't know how much pleasure, say, our dogs or our cats get from eating. I mean, it seems like they do get some pleasure, but we use it for so many other reasons, you know, to connect with family and neighbors and community, but we also use it as a crutch. We also use it as an addictive mechanism as well. So I think looking at our collective relationship with food is an incredibly important and one of the most important parts of a wellness regimen. Has to be. Mm-hmm. I also think it's nice in here you say too often we fly through our meals never actually tasting or savoring the food. We have one hand on our forks and one hand on our cell phones. As a society, we are losing the art of presence during meals, Mm -hmm. which is, Mm -hmm. I often wonder how many people take photos of their food because this is something that You and I often do, Jason, photos or videos. We do this because it's part of our work as content creators, or we've made it part of our work with Instagram in particular. For sure. And for me now with TikTok, I do a lot of capturing things with with food. But my aim is always like, how quickly can I take a picture or capture a video so I can put my phone away? And I'm also really working on putting my phone away for the meal that I'm having with somebody else or even myself. I suppose if I'm sitting by myself, being on my phone doesn't really serve me. In general, I'm really trying to spend less time on my phone, but it is very challenging. But I am curious, and if you, the listener, would love to share this with us on social media or leave a comment on the post at wellevator.com that goes with this episode, I'm curious 
how many people listening take pictures or videos of their food? Is it just something that social media content creators or influencers do? Or is it something that like a lot of people do? And what's the purpose of it? You know, <laughs> like, I, I guess every once in a while, it'll be like, hey, let me send a photo of this to my friend to tell them how good the meal is. Or maybe they're like on Yelp or some sort of review platform, blogging, whatever. But does the average person take a lot of pictures of their food? I think that they do. And I want to chime in because having done a pretty regular speaking tour for the past, I don't know, what, four to five years where I go on the road a lot to do conferences and festivals and whatnot, I'll have you know non-influencers, people that are not using social media or mailing lists or any of the sort of digital marketing as a platform for their business. They're just a person who's on social media sharing their life. I've had a lot of those people come up to me and be like, oh my God, you have to see this picture of this amazing you know, salmon that I cooked with this arugula salad. And they're taking pictures because they're proud of what they made in their home kitchen or say how they plated it, how artfully they plated it. And after these speaking gigs, I'll have, and this happens more regularly than you might think, they would come up to me and say, oh my God, I need to show you a picture of this amazing, you know, lentil ragu that I made or this salmon steak or this smoothie. If, if they're making a meal that you would want to take a picture, but I'm I'm thinking also like taking pictures when you go to a restaurant ah, or something like that. I guess I that's what, what I had in my mind, but that's a good point. I suppose people probably do take a lot of photos of their food. Yeah. Cause they're they proud create. of it. They're proud yep. of it. They're like, look what I did. They don't want to do it professionally, but I think that they're proud of the artfulness and like as an example, my my doctor, um, Dr. Alan Green, who uh, helped me with a lot of my neurotransmitter issues, my brain health, my mental health, he has taken trips to different countries just to learn from the chefs in those countries. Now, he's obviously a medical doctor. He's entrenched in his business, but he's so passionate about food that even at some of our appointments, you know, seeing my doctor, he would show on his phone. He's like, look at this pad thai I made from scratch. Aww. And I'm like, Dr. Green, that's really good. <laughs> and we would geek out on food, me and my doctor. But yeah. he just, he loves it just because he's passionate about food. Right. Pad thai sounds really good right now. Doesn't it? Especially homemade. Like, and he went to Thailand to learn from Thai chefs in Thailand how to make Thai food. Mm -hmm. So I think to your point, there's probably more than a few people out there who are just foodies. They're not doing it professionally. They're not like us. They're not food bloggers or, or, or people in the wellness industry. They just love food and they want to be creative. And I think mm -hmm. for some people, they've told me that food is a meditation, that in the busyness of their work life or their family life or their responsibilities, People have told me on more than one occasion that spending time in the kitchen making a meal from scratch and capturing it and feeling proud of their creativity, it's, it's like a meditative release for them. And I think that's also another layer of the food conversation is some people have a therapeutic relationship with food. Mm -hmm. One thing I like about this book, too, is that every section ends with a superhero action step. Oh, right. Yes, 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 so yes. For food, you said, take the time out to savor the ritual of making a meal for yourself and your loved ones, which may or may not include a picture of your food. Truly practice being present to every element of making the meal, from the buying of the produce, to the washing of the vegetables, to the preparation, and finally, to the physical and emotional sensations of taking the nourishment into your body. Practice presence with nourishing yourself. It is one of the most subtle yet powerful acts of love. It is. And I think too often we sit down at a meal with our phone or some other device of distraction, and we don't even remember what it really tasted like 
all of a sudden we look down and oh, the yeah. bowl is empty mm-hmm. and it's like i don't even remember what this tasted like yep but more than anything i think being present to the first bite of the food yes whether or not you want to close your eyes but really taking in that first bite of food and being super present to the texture the flavor the smell the mouth feel there's an appreciation and a depth that you experience by savoring a meal with that level of presence that you're actually you're honoring the experience that way you're honoring the food you're honoring whether it's a person at a restaurant that made the meal or you've taken the time out of your day to prepare this meal for yourself it's an honor and to me i think that level of presence with food can help train us to be present during conversation to be present during moments with our child or our loved ones so this presence practice with making and savoring that first bite at least that first bite i think is great training mhm mhm and it also helps you tune into when you're full 100% sometimes we eat way too much and we get an upset stomach or we feel bloated or you know we're taking in more calories or macros than we actually need yes and that can lead to a lot of frustration. And as you've said, Jason, really tuning into why you're eating what you're eating. And that's that's always so fascinating. The more that you can really step back and examine your food choices teaches you a lot about your mental state. It does. I also feel that there's a deeper level of satisfaction when you are genuinely hungry and you eat versus boredom eating, loneliness eating stress eating, anxiety eating. Or when eating I, because like you're socializing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. When when I when I genuinely feel hunger and say hear my stomach growling or feel like, whoa, my body is telling me a very clear signal that it is time to nourish myself, the level of satisfaction and fulfillment from that meal is so much greater. When we actually eat because we are hungry and not mm-hmm. for any of those other emotional reasons or societal pressures as you mentioned with me. Right. And to me like I want to feel that level of satisfaction, that appreciation for a meal. I mean, it's like, oh, and the flavors just seem to burst and explode in your mouth in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, I feel like sometimes we'll have eaten and then we'll get a call from our friend like, hey, do you want to go out for ramen? And it's like, and I just ate, but I want to see you. So I'm going to go out and eat again. Mm-hmm. But you're not really hungry and the meal's not really that satisfying. Right. I will say, since you mentioned Pad Thai and also we're talking <laughs> about quality of food, So there's this new restaurant called Love that opened up in West Hollywood, Los Angeles, and it's an organic vegan restaurant. Well, technically, everything's plant-based, non-GMO, and a great majority of their ingredients are organic as available. And it's really interesting because it's similar to a lot of Thai restaurants, vegan Thai restaurants that I've been to, but the prices are much higher. So, for example, like a lot of their dishes are $18 there, whereas you could find them at for $11 at a comparable restaurant. Wow. Yeah. When I finished eating my meal, I ended up speaking to one of the owners or chef at the restaurant. I think I think it was an owner. And she was saying that the prices are because so much of it is organic and she's having more quality, high quality ingredients like very careful about what types of oils she uses, which I think is really rare and talking about how much that bumped up the price. And then the level of service you get at her restaurant is much better than a lot of comparable Thai restaurants. This place is a fusion. They have Japanese food too. And it was just really interesting to think about this kind of 
idea of wanting to get inexpensive food too. And people just get so used to convenience food, fast food, cheap food. But when you really pay attention to how things are made and who's making them and the love that goes into them, and this place is really nice because they have this beautiful environment that's unusual for a restaurant of its category and really great service. Like you feel like you're at a higher end restaurant and yet people on Yelp were were criticizing the prices. And I, I just, I was, I saw mostly positive reviews on Yelp, but I brought it up to this co-owner, I think. And, and she was saying, yeah, but a lot of people are are frustrated with the prices. And that really broke my heart a little bit, just thinking like, you know, here she is trying to do the right thing and create a really great experience for people where they want to be present and, and like everything's beautiful and like it, it's presented in front of you with so much love. I mean, it's called love. The name of the restaurant's called love and the service is great. They're obviously taking the time to train their staff and they present these incredible dishes in front of you with really high quality ingredients and you're paying like an extra $7 and yet some people get so outraged over that and it's just fascinating how people respond to their food in such unique ways. And I think part of it is, first of all, the analogy that I love to bring up regarding how we treat our bodies is, of course, a car reference, an automotive reference, because it's easy for me because I'm a car guy. And my whole thing is, if you you have this thing that you're, you know, let's say you have a, your, your body's a Tesla, not a Tesla, that doesn't require gas. Say it's a Ferrari, okay? And you treat your body as a Ferrari, and it's this beautiful vessel, this, this thing that you're investing in, this thing that is valuable to you. You're not going to go and put 87 octane fuel. You're not going to put the, the lowest grade fuel. You're going to put, if you can, you know, some states have 93 octane. You're going to put the absolute most premium fuel in your Ferrari, your human body. So to me, I look at spending higher prices on food as an investment in my long-term health and vitality. And the reality also is that if we look at the financial and political dynamics of food, the reason that food is so cheap is it's the illusion of inexpensiveness. Yes. Because of the subsidies on genetically modified crops and feed crops, corn, wheat, soy, oats, the government subsidizes meat and dairy and feed crops. So when businesses are using meat and dairy and feed crops that are subsidized by the U.S. government, that's not the actual price. That's the price reflective of the subsidies subtracted from those foods. Mm -hmm. If those were the actual price, McDonald's Burger King at all would not be at those price points. We're not paying the real price for those foods. We're paying the subsidized price thanks to the government. So when you see, say, an $18 dish of organic, non-GMO, locally sourced pad thai ingredients, this restaurant owner is mindfully bucking that trend and saying, no matter what, I'm going to get the highest quality ingredients possible. Those are not subsidized. Those farmers are hopefully making living wage. And in the dynamics of the political and socioeconomics of food, not only the amount of money it takes to even open a restaurant, right. which is hundreds of, in Los Angeles, mm -hmm. it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. To me, I, having worked in the food business, understand it. Like I go in knowing that. And it doesn't mean I'm giving a restaurant a pass if the food or the service is bad. But I know literally the blood, sweat, tears, and money equity that's gone into that just for them to open. Yep. So for me, I'm coming in knowing this person sacrificed so much just to open this restaurant. And if they've made a commitment to not rely on subsidized, unhealthy foods, 
but make a commitment to organic non-GMO local ingredients, I want to support that and I'm glad to pay the extra money. Mm -hmm. So I think there's an education component, Whitney, that also goes in where people just don't understand the dynamics and economics of our food supply, nor what it takes to even get a restaurant open in a city like Los Angeles. Props to anybody who's in the food business on a restaurant level. That is hard, hard backbreaking work on every level. And I have massive respect for that. Well, on the topic of non-GMO, our friend Max Goldberg, who we're looking forward to having on our show at some point, he has an incredible newsletter called Organic Insider. And today's edition of this newsletter is about how COVID-19, aka the coronavirus, is affecting organic business. And it was super fascinating. I haven't read it in detail yet. Can you give us but the I'll summary? I'll give you the summary that I scanned. He He interviewed a bunch of leaders of organic companies to learn how the virus has Im impacted their business. Fascinating. And it actually sounds like it's impacting them in a positive light, meaning because of people's purchasing decisions, they have seen a surge because people are prioritizing their health and the safety of um, their lives, right? So, you know, we see a lot of people buying more toilet paper and hand sanitizer and washing their hands, but they're also buying a lot of shelf-stable foods. Like one of the people that he spoke with makes powdered uh, cookie mixes, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So people are buying that. He spoke to the president of Dr. Bronner's and they saw unit sales of their sanitizer internationally go up 600%. 600%. Yep. In their hand sanitizer, their mm -hmm. organic hands. Oh my God. Yep. I love Dr. Bronner's. Wow. Then I really love this input from Vani Hari, one of, also one of our friends. The food babe. And she runs a great brand called True Vani, which we'll link to in the show notes. I, we might even have a discount code for True Vani. Both of us do some work with True Vani and they have phenomenal high quality products. And I love that she said this. She said, right now, companies are getting caught gouging customers during a time of need. Not only is this wrong, it's the opposite of what responsible, trustworthy companies should do. That's why at Truvani, we've decided to offer our products on sale. People are buying now more than ever, and we feel like it's up to us to make it easier on people to get the supplements they need with a discount. So we'll absolutely link to them. Beautiful. I don't know how long their sales are going on, but they're a really great company. So whatever sales or coupon codes we can share with you, the listener, we will put that in the show notes. And um, that just like really touched me reading that and showed me how dedicated they are to health. Uh, they also had some the um, chief merchandising officer at Thrive Market, which is another really great company where you can get incredible pricing on all sorts of health foods. And they are seeing a lot of people st stock up on things as well. And and they're building inventory on immunity cleaning and, and pantry staples right now. But they're also committed to not engage in surge pricing. So it's a wonderful piece that he did. I don't know if it's publicly available. Um, Organic Insider is a subscription-based newsletter, but it's 100% worth it. We will link to that as well and keep you posted on when we have a show with Max Goldberg who runs it because 
if you're looking for information about organic living, organic foods, he is my number one source because he is so in the know. And this is actually sad. (laughs) On a side note, I guess the founder of Trader Joe's passed away. This is also like a bullet point in his newsletter. Did you see that, Jason? Uh, I didn't see that. Sad. I didn't see that. I used to work mm-hmm. for Trader Joe's. That was I that know. was an interesting period of my life. And Trader Joe's actually is a is a great place to get organic foods as well. Indeed. And and a lot of non-GMO foods. It doesn't have to be organic. I actually went there and did some stocking up of my own uh, food supply just in case we go into um, a difficult period of time yeah. and we're not able to get out to the stores due to this virus. Yeah, I wanted to comment on that real quick, Whitney, mm-hmm. the, the stocking up right now, because if the listener has not... Uh, seen or heard this yet, we'll link to a, a special live episode, our first live episode we did recently about our thoughts on the um, energetic, physical, social dynamics of the coronavirus. Um, we can link to that video. Uh, it's on YouTube and, and we there's go a, really in depth on that. There's a post up at com on it too, if you yeah. want to read it and watch it. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to comment because we're, I think we recorded that probably about a week ago, didn't we? Mm-hmm. And um, Week and a half. Since then, you know, you've gone to Trader Joe's and, and stocked up and I've gone to Costco And one of the things that I found super encouraging, um, first of all, whether or not a quarantine does happen in Los Angeles or anywhere near us in in Southern California, or we perhaps have another earthquake, you know, I I realize that my preparedness in case, say, my power goes out or the water goes out or something happens with the government and we get whatever, I I realized I I didn't have more than, say, like six days worth of food. It's like, okay, you know what? What if I just go and get some, you know, non-perishable stuff and and stock it up in the garage? I have a shelf set up in the garage just to make sure I have three weeks or a month month's worth of food. Wow, three weeks. Yeah, I bought a lot of stuff. Now, the the, <laughs> the, 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 the cool thing I wanted Coming to say- Coming over to your place. You know, you know where to come. The, the cool thing, though, I wanted to say on Costco, because a few years back with a friend of ours, Vince Leah, we did a, a video about vegan vegan food at Costco. Even in the three years since we did that video, which again, we'll link to in the show notes. We have a lot of resources for you. We'd love to give you resources. Uh, There are so many options, Whitney, at Costco. It's mind-blowing. I was scouring and literally with my mentor, Michael, we walked every aisle of Costco, every single aisle. Fun. And the amount of organic, non-GMO, plant-based options, the amount of superfoods they have there now, it's incredible. So what are I, some of the highlights, like things that you're like, wow, I can't believe they have them here. Organic, unsweetened oat milk. Okay. Right. Phenomenal. By um, who? Is it like a Costco brand? It or? Was, it, I think it was their Kirkland Costco okay. brand. Yeah. Because yeah. they have a private label. Because you know even label. Trader Joe's has an oat milk now. Yeah. But it's hard to find uh, unsweetened That's sometimes. True. So this yeah. was an unsweetened organic non-GMO oat milk. They had uh, giant bags of Manitoba Harvest organic hemp seeds. I mean, giant, like two, three pound bags. They had organic blueberries, organic strawberries, frozen and fresh. They had four different vegan superfood organic protein powders there. They had coconut oil. They had sacha inchi seeds. They had... All at good prices? Was it a good value? Phenomenal prices. And that's the point I wanted to make is that I think one of the barriers or the concerns that people have, and I understand it's warranted because organic non-GMO food is not subsidized by the government or any corporate entity that it is more expensive. But when you go to a place like Costco, not only is the array of options and and availability mind-blowing to me, but knowing what I pay retail, say for a 16-ounce bag of hemp seeds, the price per pound when I go there and buy a two or three-pound bag, it's 
for double or triple the volume, I'm paying the same price I would pay for a pound oh, wow. at the retail level. Mm-hmm. So you and I have talked a lot about this. You have, a, you have an amazing book, you know, Healthy Organic, you know, Vegan on a Budget. Mm-hmm. But I just want to reinforce that in real time here as on the podcast that you can find ways to save a lot of money and not have to go out to, you know, I sound such an old school, hell and gone, you know, outside to find like at your local Costco. I mean, I even talked to my mom in Detroit. She's like, oh yeah, we have tons of organic, vegan, plant-based superfood options at the Costco in Detroit. So it's not just a Cali thing. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I think for people wanting to eat more organic, non-GMO food or stock up for emergency supplies, go get a basic membership at Costco. You or save you a ton of money. you can sign up for Thrive as well. True. Because you can get that delivered to you. I don't know if they do it internationally, but- that's another option. If if traveling is a concern, if maybe there isn't a nearby Costco, there are amazing memberships that will give you wholesale prices totally. on organic food. So it's definitely worth looking into. And we'll link to all those options in the show notes. Okay, let's back, go back to the ebook because we, we just touched about, upon food so far. The next category in the book is about fitness. Mm-hmm. And your section starts off with move a muscle, change a thought. And Jason says that's one of his favorite quotes from his mentor and good friend, Ron. Until you heard that, you had never considered fitness to be anything more than a mechanical activity to achieve the kind of body you wanted. You, that's really interesting, actually. And you said your relationship to fitness from your high school days of track to dabbling in yoga and weightlifting has primarily been ego-driven. You were working out because you weren't feeling good enough about yourself. But reframing your relationship to fitness made all the difference. For me, it was a massive shift in this thing that I was doing because I thought I had to look a certain way or be a certain weight. There's a certain aesthetic of being muscular or ripped or strong as a man in society. And subconsciously, I think that was fueling or especially when I was doing competitive sports like track or basketball, this idea of being the best and beating everyone else, you know, a very deep competitive mindset. But transcending those things, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but for me, I just, I never realized that for my mental and emotional wellness, that I could approach fitness in a different way. That if I could use it as a mechanism to feel more connected to myself, feel more mentally balanced, feel more emotionally well, then that to me is a deeper motivation. To me, that's a more sustainable motivation because whenever I would win a basketball game or win a track meet, you'd get that euphoria, but it it fades pretty quickly. And then you want to win again and win again and win again and win again. And it reminds me of, I've said this, I think on some of our trainings that Martina Navratilova, one of the greatest tennis players of all time, she said that the moment of victory is too short to live for that and nothing else. And I think on some level, chasing the aesthetic appeal of six pack abs or big muscles or for men and women, whatever the aesthetic in the mind is, or winning at a team sport those things, the gratification of those things, I don't think last very long. You're constantly chasing something. And they're not always what you think it's going to be. Like for me, I remember when I started going to my hot yoga studio, which Mm -hmm. I've been a member of for I think almost five years now. Yeah, And I, I was very drawn to go there because my friend told me that was the way that she got in the best shape of her life. It's a good sales pitch. So I'm thinking, <laughs> oh, I already liked yoga. I already enjoyed hot yoga. And she was like, yeah, I just went to classes for 30 days. And look at, I have a flat stomach, which has been an, 
that goal of mine for so long is like, how can I flatten my stomach? Well, I have taken countless hot yoga classes at this incredible studio and they involve cardio and weightlifting and crunches and all of the, you know, Pilates and, and bar ballet type moves and, you know, all these different types of fitness and yoga combined, plus the element of hot yoga. And I just thought I was going to get these incredible physical results. And I think about it almost every time I go to class because no matter how consistent I am with those workouts, I've never gotten a a flat stomach from them. And part of that actually I think is because for my body in particular, food plays a bigger role than fitness. Yeah, I tend to slim down more if that's a goal of mine when I'm very mindful of things like sugar. And that's part of the reason that I tried out the vegan keto diet and wrote the book about it is I had tremendous results from that more so than years and years and years of working out. Yeah. Right. And so it was kind of this eye opener because similar to what you're saying, Jason, it was like I went into a lot of my fitness classes hoping to get physical results. And then sometimes I'll ask myself, well, why am I continuing to go to class despite the fact that my body isn't looking the way that I thought it was going to, or it's not getting the results that I was promised, right? In the marketing or my friends was saying that worked for her. And to your point, Jason, it, it is so much about the holistic side of it. I mean, it's Im- impacting me mentally, physically, and emotionally. And I get a sense of community going to work out. And I feel rejuvenated not just from the fitness, but from the meditation at the end of class and the sweating because it's a hot room and being around people that I'm getting to know and the bonding I have with my teachers and the other students there. And there's a whole experience to it. So there's something motivating me so much more than the ego-driven side of it, which I think is so important. And maybe the ego leads you to do an exercise, but then you find out so much more that the benefits are just more than you anticipated. Yeah, I, I think going back to the why is, am I working out or engaging in a fitness routine because there's a part of me that believes once I get to a certain number in my weight or my bust or my waistline or my booty gets to be a certain size, then I'll, I'll love myself once I get to that point. Then I'll feel desirable. Then I'll feel respected. Then I'll feel womanly or manly or... Once my biceps are a certain size or I can, I can, you know, bench a certain amount of weight or squat a certain amount of weight. I mean, we've talked so much about the hang up with numbers and self-worth in our society. And I think to a large degree, I don't know that a lot of people are aware of what's motivating them. They think maybe there's a surface level motivation. I want to be in shape. I want to feel better. But I know for me that if I've really dug into my motivations around a lot of things in life, what I think is the surface level motivation is never what is actually subconsciously motivating it. And for a lot of things that I feel I've been motivated by, whether it's, you know, make, you know, seven figures a year or or be able to, you know, bench this amount of weight or be able to dunk in a basketball game or drive this certain car, whatever the hell it is, and it's something external. It's always been a subconscious, but then was made conscious motivation that once I can do, be, or have that thing, then I'll feel good enough, desirable enough, successful enough, but enough for what? Love, approval, acceptance. I mean, I think as humans, we're all chasing the same things. 
But the question is, do you really want to be chasing those things? Or can we somehow cultivate approval for ourselves? It doesn't mean we're not going to strive to, say, lose weight or feel better or get in shape, but not this carrot and a stick situation of I'm not going to love and approve of myself until I get there. Because there's always going to be a there. There's always something else to chase. And I think my relationship to fitness was you're not manly enough. Like your manhood isn't developed unless you're like this big, tough, whatever fucking thing that society and culture tells you should be. Like uh, if you don't look like one of the guys on the cover of Men's Health magazine, you're not a man. But then it was like, this doesn't have to do shit with masculinity at all. This doesn't have to do shit. This is just the same thing, whether it's Cosmopolitan or Men's Health or a billion other media enterprises saying you're not man enough or woman enough unless you look and act and be like these people. You know, we're getting or that so- you're not getting results. I mean, for me, it was like I was actually reflecting on that today, this morning in my yoga class is sometimes I feel shame going into I go to a yoga studio in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, it is pretty much what you would imagine. It's it's full of your stereotypical models. Well, I don't know if anybody is literally a model. I'm sure a number of them are social media influencers. Maybe they are models. But most of the women are in phenomenal shape and they're young and they're beautiful and, and you know, they're wearing the nice clothes and they've got a lot of that that appearance going on that you associate with Beverly Hills and mm-hmm. Los Angeles, Hollywood, all of that. The reason I go there is because I really love the teachers at this studio. Mm-hmm. But I would prefer not to be surrounded by people that seem a bit absorbed in in their appearance. Yes. But maybe that's just my perception. My point being that for me, it's tough to be around women like that because I start to wonder, do I look good enough? Do I fit in here? Like, are my clothes, you know, at the same level as theirs? Like, how do I look in my tight pants and the fitness tops that I'm wearing and I don't have a flat stomach and I I have, I have, you know, curvy hips and, and maybe my breasts aren't the same as these women and my face doesn't look, I don't do Botox, you know, know, I, I don't have like that perfect figure. And I don't think most women do. It's just that when you live in a city like Los Angeles and you're, especially if you're going to a high end fitness studio in Beverly Hills, you're, like the concentration of quote unquote perfect looking people. And I'm sure men have this too. So what I've had to work through is a lot of like, I'm going to just go there and be me and own me and work through my any shame or fears of judgment around how I look and also not beat myself up for not having a flat stomach. Like I think part of what I've had to process over time is, well, why didn't I get in in as good shape as my friend? You know, I've been going to yoga for years and I don't have those results that she said she got in 30 days. Yeah. You know, and we're sold this constantly in marketing, whether it's magazines, as you mentioned, Jason, or even the websites, the marketing that fitness studios put out there is they always show perfectly fit people, really attractive people. And we see this on Instagram and all these different media outlets just promoting a certain aesthetic. And then if you don't get those results, you start to think, well, what's wrong with me? Yeah, 100. Right? And, then, and then it drives you even deeper. And you start to wonder like, A, am I not doing a good enough job? Am I doing something wrong? And B, are people perceiving me as, well, 
I'm actually, this came up in a conversation with a friend of mine years ago. And she was like, yeah, I, you know, you and she was just speaking very bluntly. Uh-huh. I might not sound very sensitive and, and perhaps it wasn't, but she was like, yeah, you know, none of my friends that do yoga, like are really in that great a shape. Like, I don't think it makes much of a difference. I think part of her point was, you know, here you are doing all of this fitness work and like your body is still not like perfectly physically fit. Yeah. And it just shine the light on how we have this idea that if somebody works out a lot, that they're going to get great results. But I'm a perfect example of somebody I've been working out very consistently for many years and I don't have that flat stomach. Right. Yeah. As I said earlier, I think I'm somebody who, again, I'd probably, if I really wanted a flat stomach, it'd have to come from food and probably some fitness as well. But working out alone does not get my body that flat, toned stomach and toned body and all that stuff that I think a lot of people think they're going to get when they go into exercise. I think really, again, this is fitness and exercise and our relationship to our body in general is such a wonderful mechanism to understand ourselves more. It's a great tool for self-realization for so many reasons of, you know, what is it? What is the genuine, real, deepest motivation behind it? And I think that if people are willing to look at themselves on a deeper level, those things will come up. They did for me, and, and that was my whole point in this ebook was writing that section about how can we reframe or refocus our relationship to fitness, not just in an egoic or competitive mindset, but maybe on a deeper level for spiritual growth too, like fitness as a mechanism for spiritual and personal growth. Mm -hmm. Well, you said in your superhero action step, whatever it is, be adventurous, be courageous, and move your body in a new way you've never done before. The change will do you good in so many ways. So you were just encouraging people to try something that they hadn't done and find what, what feels good to them so that they can feel good physically, mentally, and emotionally. Yeah, and I say that because I, I think maybe if a person is, say, going to the gym five days a week, but they really don't like it, then on a certain level... It's like, well, why don't you just change it up? Maybe if you were to go on a hike or go rock climbing or go swimming or try a bike, like I think, I think we're creatures of habit, human beings, and we get stuck in a routine where we think we ought to be doing certain things. Well, I want to get six pack abs or a big booty or big, whatever the thing is aesthetically. So I need to go to the gym and lift weights five days a week. And it's this, this very driven grind mentality that, you know, everyone's like, okay, the rent is due. Let's go. Come on, come on, everyone hustle. But I think that mentality sometimes can come at the sacrifice, that grind, hustle, driven mentality can come at the sacrifice of joy and connection. And if we're not feeling joyfully connected to ourselves, A, but B, our exercise and fitness routines, I think it's a good time to experiment and try something that might make you feel more joyful while you're getting a good workout. And that is the perfect segue into the third section of the book, which is about relationships, mm -hmm. which starts off with this opening page which says everything is a perfect mirror in your life everyone you choose to have in your life is showing you some very important things about yourself should you choose to notice them which can be absolutely maddening especially if we feel frustrated hurt wounded or abandoned by someone yet if we can cultivate true loving awareness in these moments we can see a part of ourselves in the other person we are getting triggered by there's a theory that the things we get triggered by in our closest relationships 
are showing us the deepest unresolved parts of ourselves that need more love, attention, acceptance, and healing. Truly, I think our relationships can be our greatest teachers. Mm. This is really good. I did the... (laughs) (laughs) I've never had anyone read this back to me, but as you're saying it, I was like doing a little pat on the back, like, good job, good job. You you spoke your truth. (laughs) My goodness. Yeah, that still rings so true and so relevant as you're reading it back to me, Whitney, because... I think my one of my deepest wounds is abandonment. And I wrote that with this idea that having a perception of being abandoned by someone, I have descended a lot into victim consciousness at times of they abandoned me, they let me go, they let me down, they hurt me. But as I've stepped back and done some healing around my abandonment as an example of this idea of people mirroring things or offering you opportunities to get to know yourself or heal more. In a lot of the situations, especially as an adult, particularly where I felt abandoned by someone, I actually spun the question and asked myself, how did I abandon me in that situation? And in every single situation I've asked that question of perceiving this person let me down, this person abandoned me, the turnaround for me was they never abandoned me. Life has never abandoned me. You know, God, spirit, universe hasn't abandoned me. But there have been times where I've abandoned myself in the sense of I didn't speak my truth. I didn't ask for what I wanted. I didn't say what was actually on my mind or my heart in the moment. And I actually told a lie or told someone what I thought they wanted to hear. And in those kind of moments, I've acknowledged that in certain relationships, I've abandoned myself. But it's so easy to feel like we're victims. It's so easy to feel like other people are doing things to us. And believe me, I mean, even in our relationship, uh, having dated and, and also now been friends and business partners, you and I have had friction. We've had times where there was massive tension and anger and pain and letdown. I mean, the other day, I totally, I totally let you down the other day. I showed up 45 minutes late for a podcast we were supposed to do, and I had to apologize. And like, I, I fucked up. I'm sorry. But I think in moments of rather than blame and putting the onus on someone else. It's like, how did I fuck up? How did I abandon myself? How did I let myself down? How did I break my word to me? Because often it really has nothing to do with that other person. It has to do with our relationship with ourselves. And then we show up in relationship with whatever wounds or unattended baggage or unresolved things within ourselves, and they just color the relationships we're in. So I wrote that simply because I wanted to start taking more responsibility in my life and encourage other people to do the same. It doesn't mean that people don't intentionally hurt us. Sometimes that does happen. People are intentionally mean or do intentionally hurt us. But in a lot of situations, I think the real healing begins when we ask better quality questions instead of why did I get abandoned or let down or hurt? How did I abandon myself? How did I let myself down? How did I show up in a way that wasn't honoring, loving, or respectful of me? And to me, that's a higher quality question that can unlock way more answers. Well, I think if you're interested in learning more about relationships, we had a a recent episode that came out about being single and the shame of not being married or being a parent and, and just kind of people's perception of us. And we have at least another episode or two about relationships mixed in. So we'll link to all of those. If you like this topic of relationships, you want to hear more about Jason speaking on this and me speaking on this and and, uh, perhaps our guests as well. 
It's definitely come up in conversations with guests. So we'll link to that for you to keep listening. The superhero action step for relationships is the first one I've seen that's two pages. Oh, So this is quite lengthy <laughs> for the topic of relationship. You said to ask yourself where you are holding back the love in your life from yourself or your loved ones. If you are withholding your love, ask yourself why. Is it because you are afraid of being hurt, being seen, or being truly vulnerable? Are you afraid of your love not being returned or reciprocated to you? Is it because you are in judgment and haven't accepted yourself fully? Identify the roadblocks you have placed between you and unconditional love, then work to dissolve them. You can dissolve them through radical acceptance of what is, letting go of expectations, assumptions, and demands, and working to heal your pain, trauma, and fear. Jason recommends a therapist or coach to support you with this. And remember this, your heart and mind, once opened, can never return to their original dimensions. Keep opening, my beautiful friend. You've got this. Mm. I feel like I'm writing it to myself too. My ah. God. That's, that's Now you can relate to the woman that, that uh, reached out and complimented you. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> this interesting. This goes both ways. Yeah, as you're reading it back, it's, it's, um, it's potent because, uh, because I, I want to do a separate episode on this, but I realized recently, and this was the first time I think I really realized this, and, and it might have been you know, an offshoot of, of uh, the conversation during the ayahuasca episodes where I, I will link again to we'll link to all those episodes in the show notes. Yeah, this one's full of resources. Um, the revelation that I had after my ayahuasca experience of, of feeling like I have to earn love from people or prove myself worthy of love. A couple of days ago, I had a layer revealed to me that I was not consciously present to at least and now am, which is... Uh, that I think I can do a better job at receiving love from people. That I feel like I've been much more comfortable giving love, giving gifts, giving compliments, showing up, being present. But someone that I met recently that I am started dating, brand, brand new, she's very generous. She's very generous with her words. She's very generous, physically affectionate, and that's my number one love language. She's very generous with compliments. She's just, she's just, she's a generous person. And there was a moment where I'm like, whoa, this is like, am I having trouble receiving? I feel like I'm having trouble receiving right now. What is this? And I think it's a permutation of, I haven't proven that I'm worthy of this. How can she just be showing up and being this? Gen I haven't proven I'm worthy. Why would she do this? Can I trust this? Is this okay? Is this, is she playing a game on me? Am I, is this like, Am I on a prank show? What's going on here? So interestingly enough, in terms of this section on relationships and love, I've identified recently this part of my psyche that feels like if someone's that generous with me, that it's hard for me to receive because I don't feel like I deserve it or I feel like I have to do something in order to get it. And when it's given freely, that freely, it's like, but I didn't wait, but I thought I had to do something to get this. It's like, no, you don't. It's like <gasps> part of my nervous system is still in this old paradigm, this old program of, but you didn't, you didn't prove that you deserve this. So why would someone give this to you? There must be something wrong here. Except Whew. what about when you're a child and you receive unconditional love from a parent? You don't have to do anything to prove your worthiness as a child. That's true. Like your parents just 
love <sighs> you and want to take care of you, you have to do nothing to get their love. That's true. However, it's also possible, and you've spoken a lot about this, Jason, is sometimes we feel like as children, we have to do things to get our parents' love. And sometimes our parents may, and I'm generally speaking, or maybe specifically speaking, at times, some parents, or, or maybe in some cases, all parents may consciously or unconsciously expect something of the child. Like maybe there's a resentment, like, gosh, I do so much for you. Show me that you appreciate it. Yeah. And, you know, for much of our developmental years, we don't even know how to give back to our parents properly, but we may have an energetic guilt, like our parents are doing so much for us and we need to prove our worth to them. So I wonder, Jason, if that is part of your mentality, especially for you and your fears of abandonment. Did you feel like you had to earn your parents' love, your dad's love? Were you always trying to strive for that? I mean, this could go, this could go to a a deep therapeutic session here, but something to reflect on. And and also to the listeners, like thinking back to the roots, because, you know, childhood is a time where we do receive many of us, not all of us, because not everybody has the privilege of receiving unconditional love from their caretakers, unfortunately. But many of us get unconditional love when we're young because we're unable to give anything back. But it's also an opportunity to reflect on our parents and caretakers, our human beings as well. And, And I can imagine not being a parent yet, but I imagine that there's a lot of resentment you might feel towards your children. I mean, we, we, we even feel this way about our animals sometimes. I mean, all jokes aside, you know, True. that moment of like, oh, I don't want to have to take care of you. I have to, I have to do my whole schedule around you. I, I don't want to take you for a walk. I don't want to go out and buy the expensive food for you. You know, when we start to feel resentful of taking care of things or in relationships or our children. And I think like, in those moments, we can have a lot of compassion for our own caretakers, mm. right? But then my point, my mm. big point in bringing this up is the other side of the coin is I know your mother loves you deeply, Jason, and I think that she's given you unconditional love. That's my perception. And you didn't have to do anything to get your mother's love. She's loved you, I imagine, since the moment you were conceived and it definitely since you were born and you didn't have to do anything to win your mom's love. So why do you need to do anything to win anybody's love? Because I think that as a child, when I perceived that my father abandoned me, again, I perceived it, right? That that story and the meaning I created as a young child, not understanding the dynamics of my mom and dad's relationship, not understanding what was happening with him in terms of his addiction or his, his mental health challenges, as a child, I had no scope, grasp of that scope, right? But there was an overcompensation mechanism that I believe, I believe I created at a young age, which was if you are the entertainer and you're making everyone in the room laugh and smile and happy, which I think is one of the reasons I started acting at such a young age and, and being, you know, being, being the life of the party, right? I mean, I have... To this day, I still have this reputation of like, oh, Jason brings so much joy and laughter and he's so high energy. And you're often the MC. I'm often the MC or the host or like (laughs) Jay Rose bringing the party. 
But the reality that most people do not know is there's an element of an overcompensation and protectionism that was created at a young age psychologically that if I'm entertaining, if I'm creating laughter and joy and being the life of the party, then I won't be abandoned again because it was a protective mechanism that if one parent left, what would happen if the other one left? So I have to be the bright light in the room. I have to be the entertainer, the source of joy, the source of laughter, because God forbid this other one leaves me. Then, then to me, it was, it, was, it was a protective mechanism for sure. And I think that that still colors my intimate relationships in the sense of don't leave me, don't abandon me. I have to be the brightest light in the room. I have to be the light of your life or I'm going to be left. So after my dad left, I think I created a defense mechanism that I can't let my mom leave. You know, I was still young enough. I didn't trust that she wouldn't. So if she leaves, I'm dead. Like literally, it's like a death thing. Like for a child, if neither one of my parents are around, who's going to feed me? Who's going to love me? Who's going to protect me? You know, so I think at a very young age, I decided that proving myself worthy of love and affection was guaranteeing my survival. That's as deep as I can go. I mean, that's fuck, that's, that's a deep-seated thing that still affects me to this day. I'm aware of it, and I still need to work through it in the sense of romantically, if I'm the most generous, if I'm making her laugh, if I'm the best lover, if I'm protecting her as a man, quote, ought to in our society, she won't leave me. And I think women definitely experience the same thing. Women are trying to prove themselves. Am I pretty enough? Am I sexy enough? Am I doing enough? Am I making meals or taking care of the kids or, you know, doing the chores or am I, do I understand their love language? Am I going to follow through and, and be, speak the perfect language to them? And, you know, on and on. I think there's so much pressure. And I think Jason, it's a wonderful opportunity that you're in right now to examine this and the worthiness that can come up. And and I don't know how much I've experienced that. It's definitely giving me some things to reflect upon. But I, when I hear you say that, it's actually helping me understand the dynamics that I've been in because I've dated a lot of men with worthiness issues. And I don't know if that's who I personally am attracting or if that's just something going on with the masculine culture and the the age range of men that I've been dating, but it's come up a lot. It's come up in sabotaging relationships that have been long-term. It's also come up in never being able to have a depth within a, a relationship or dating. I've dated guys that I've really been interested in and I've really wanted to be with and and thought that they were wonderful, but because of their own worthiness challenges, they weren't even able to be in a committed relationship because they didn't feel good enough to be yes, in it. Yes. You know, I've seen it so many in so many different ways. And I obviously with women as well, this comes up a lot, but it's just interesting to reflect on your life and your experiences and your current dynamics and seeing how this comes up so often and, and look at it as a lesson and an opportunity to reflect on why you feel that way. You know, well, which I all, think is great that your book really prompts that. I also think too that observing how I'm showing up has been interesting too. Um, God, I don't remember if I mentioned this on a past episode or if it was just in conversation between the two of us, but I've noticed that after a lot of the therapy and the ayahuasca ceremony and the compounding of a lot of this inner work, that if I reflect on how I would show up in dating a lot, 
it was the, an offshoot of the thing I just mentioned, the protective mechanism from childhood of I'm going to wow her. I'm going to be the brightest light. I'm going to be the most generous. I'm going to make her laugh. I'm going to be the best lover, blah, blah, blah. But lately, like the, I don't know, past four or five months on, on dates I've been on, I don't give a shit. No, I, I, I find myself being there and being like, just be yourself. Don't try and wow her. Don't try and be generous. Don't try and make her laugh. Don't try at all. And how's just, that working out for you? It feels so much better and it feels so much lighter. Because I realized that that old way of thinking I had to be a certain way to win her over, that whole thing of I'm going to show up trying to be my the best version of myself to impress her, wow her, woo her, which I think is a common thing in dating in our society. And I'm just going to be. And I'm not going to try and make her laugh or try and show her like, let's go out to the most expensive restaurant, blah, blah, blah. Not, I'm going to show you. I'm, I'm, the, I'm not trying to be the shiniest diamond in the case anymore. And honestly, that feels so relieving and feels like so much pressure and heaviness has been removed because I'm at a point now where it's like, I'm either your flavor of ice cream or not. I'm not going to dump almonds and sprinkles and hot fudge and coconut whipped cream and gold dust and unicorn farts to try and make you like the flavor of ice cream I am. It's like mm. you either dig it or you don't. And so that's what I mean. I, I feel like there's a sense of liberation I'm finally getting to at 42 of here I am, as I am, the best version I know how to be, imperfect, flawed, searching, working on myself, and you either dig it or you don't. And either way, I don't give a shit. And I'm not saying that in like a, like genuinely, whether or not I'm finally just now starting to get to the point of whether or not I have your approval, attention, satisfaction does not make my life better or worse. Right. Whether I have it or not does not make my life better or worse. And I'm finally just starting, Whitney, to taste that sense of emotional liberation for the first time ever. It's huge. Ever. It's huge. It's massive for me. Yep. Well, we have only made it halfway through oh the book. Oh my goodness. So I think what we're going to do is a part two. Beautiful. So this is part one. This is the halfway point. If you are super eager to dig in, you can go and download this ebook. Again, if you go to wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R, we will link to this book or at least the You Are Enough book, which will lead you to this book. That way you get a two for one deal. Completely free is <laughs> a free ebook that Jason generously is giving out. And stay tuned for part two, which we will also link in the show notes as soon as that is up. And again, as we mentioned several times throughout this episode, we will link to all the other resources, the other episodes that we reference, the companies that we reference, the brands, the people, whatever we talk about in this episode and any episode, you can find all of that information at wellevator.com. When you go to our homepage at the top corner, there's a podcast button, click that, or you can go directly to the podcast show notes at podcast.wellevator.com. You can also just use a search engine like Google and type in, this might get uncomfortable and some of the keywords from this. So in this case, it'd be like blissful, balanced and badass, right? If you type that in, you will find the show notes very quickly. And you can also find links to it on social media. We're, we're really just trying to make it as easy as possible for you to get all of this. If you ever have questions, you can privately message us on social media. We're at 
at Wellevator, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R. We love hearing from you. If you enjoy the episodes, you can share them on social media. We've had people sharing them in their Instagram stories, which is so sweet. We will reshare that, of course. And we're so grateful for, for you spreading the word. And we love hearing from you publicly or privately on social media. You can email us. Our email is hello at wellevator.com. Both of us see these emails, so you'll get a response from us as soon as possible. And we would love to receive comments from you too. If you have feedback, you can uh, email us. You can comment on each of the show notes. There's a comment section under every single episode. If you have something specific, like as I said towards the beginning of this asking questions like, do you take pictures of your food? We genuinely would love to know, you know, whether you do things like that. If you have any other things that you want to add to this conversation, we're, we're really trying to, to make it a conversation. And lastly, your feedback is also welcome as a review. So if you can review us on iTunes, if you're listening there, or I think it's Stitcher is the other place. It's interesting how most podcast platforms don't have a review section, but iTunes does. And I think it's Stitcher is the other one, but we actually have instructions on how to review us at the podcast page. So if you've never reviewed a podcast before and you want to do it for the very first time for us, we appreciate that. It not only gives us feedback, but it helps other people find our show and learn more about our show. You're basically writing a testimonial and, and we are deeply, deeply grateful for that. And we appreciate you guys in writing direct emails, direct messages, as Whitney mentioned, because we are going to start expanding sometime this year beyond just the digital platform in terms of our wellness structures and strategies and tips, um, because we're really, really passionate about digital detox. So one thing that Whitney and I are currently working on in the laboratory at Wellevator HQ is ideas for more live immersive events that will be starting here in Southern California. So if you happen to Go over to the wellevator.com website, sign up for our newsletter. We will be making announcements of any of the digital resources and any announcement for live immersive events that we're going to be doing in the near future. We would love for you to come and join us live for those. Well, in fact, when you download the ebooks, You Are Enough, Blissful, Balanced, and Badass, or our 30 book, Take Charge. Technically, it's our second ebook, but it's third in this in this list that I'm giving you right now you will automatically be signed up for our newsletter. So it's a great way to to stay up to date on things that are happening. And uh, we know there's a lot of information coming your way from us and from other podcasts that you listen to and other online resources. So we are really appreciative for your time. Stay tuned for part two. We release new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Friday is our day of having a special guest on. And this week we have Jeff Krasno from Commune coming on, which is a delightful episode. So look forward to that. Lots of goodness coming to you and plenty of episodes previous to this too. So you can go and and binge listen right now if you would like. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back very soon. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com.